Hi, I'm Joe Taylor, your host for this new podcast series, Greater Manchester Business Stories. And here we are, it's episode one. I previously released a short trailer episode where I explain a little about how and why this podcast has come about. So do give that a listen. But in short, we want to explore in this podcast my sneaking suspicion that Greater Manchester's the best place in the world to be launching or running a business right now. We're going to do that by meeting the people and businesses that are putting Greater Manchester on the map and by digging into their incredible entrepreneurial stories. But what I think makes Greater Manchester so special is everything it offers that isn't work-related, from the people to the places and the memories created here. So we're going to have some fun too, getting under the skin of people's connections to Greater Manchester and getting their top recommendations of places and businesses you should be checking out. As will become very apparent through this podcast, I am not a professional podcaster or presenter. In fact, day-to-day, I run a little snacks business called Real Handful with my wife, Carly, in Greater Manchester. So I plan on trying to shut up as much as possible through these conversations so you get to enjoy listening to some of the wonderful guests we have lined up. Hopefully that sounds like a fair plan. And all I ask in return is if you enjoyed the podcast and give it a subscribe, a review, or share it with a friend and help us spread the word as we highlight the amazing businesses and people and everything else in between that makes Greater Manchester such an exciting place to be right now. Keep in touch with us on Instagram. We're at GMBS Podcast. Drop us an email on gmbspodcast at gmod.com. That's gmbspodcast at gmod.com. And now let's get cracking with our first guest, Joe Harper from Just Be Honey. do when a business you've spent five years of your life building falls apart? Do you bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening? Do you run away or do you roll up your sleeves and take action? These were the options facing today's guest Joe Harper when the drinks company he launched with his friend and co-founder Andy Sugden saw its sales decimated by the impact of COVID-19 in 2020. As you'll hear, they took the bold step of creating a new vision for the business and went about executing that plan with their characteristic intelligence and persistence. And what has sprung out of that adversity is a business that's bigger, better, and faster growing. Having known Joe and Andy since the early days of Just Be, I think the story you're about to listen to got some great lessons for any entrepreneur about how to be opportunistic and scrappy in the way you approach building sales and publicity. But I think what's even more valuable is listening to Joe talk now about how coming out of adversity, they've built a business that's even more exciting and rewarding to be in day to day. So here we are with Joe Harper and his story. Hi, and welcome to this week's Greater Manchester Business Stories. This may never happen again. We've got two Joes on the show this week, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Joe Harper, the co-founder of Just Be Honey. How are you getting on, Joe? Yes, good, Joe. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for joining us and, and agreeing to share a little bit more about the Just Be story, which I'm sure people will enjoy the roller coaster as much as I as much as I have done, having known you since the early days of Just Be back in kind of 2015, 2016. Um, but to give people a bit of background, why don't you tell us, are you born and bred in Greater Manchester or, or how did you end up living in the area? Um, no, I'm from a place called Ormskirk, actually, which is in Lancashire, a bit closer to Liverpool. Um, but I came to Manchester uh, when I was 18 for university. Um, loved it so much that I stuck around after uni. Um, 
Although I went to London for a few years, uh, I realised that it was just nowhere near as good as Manchester and uh, and came back and been here ever since. So, so you're at University of Manchester. What were you studying then? And then what, what you, you mentioned moving down to London, coming back. What did you do post-university and I guess prior to founding Just Be? Yeah, I was um, at uni doing economics. I always... Uh, I always thought I'd go into finance um, from starting uni and um, most of the people doing that degree at Manchester Uni ended up in some sort of finance job. I went on to uh, train as an accountant at PwC, Pricewaterhouse, um, did that training in Manchester and then an opportunity, it was the financial crisis of 2008 when I actually finished that training and became a chartered accountant. An opportunity came up to go down to London to help with uh, well Lehman Brothers bank collapse and uh, helping take take that take apart the bank really. And so yeah, I thought great, I'll go down to London and uh, yeah, ended up staying for four years. But by that point, I realised that uh, finance wasn't really my bag, and uh, I wanted to do something much more interesting. And you met your um, your co-founder Andy in the world of accountancy as well I think yeah we were both on the same Pricewaterhouse sort of cohort in 2006 um and yeah we got on like a house on fire really from the start within six months we'd uh bought a house together as a sort of an investment opportunity where we lived in it but also got two other people from uh friends and Pricewaterhouse into the house to help pay the rent basically so we could live rent free so the sort of entrepreneurial spirit started very early and me and Andy knew I think that we would always do some sort of business together but it did take quite a few years of both working as accountants to get to that point and 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 I guess that's the interesting step on the journey for lots of people which is that entrepreneurial itch that they want to scratch but you guys are two young chaps living in a big city secure jobs, secure careers ahead of you in the world of accountancy and finance. So what what was it? What was that path that you and Andy took that led you to eventually get, you know, getting started with just be? Yeah. Well, I think, as you say, like most people, we had those, that, that entrepreneurial itch and we'd often be in the pub with a group of mates talking about ideas, you know, why hasn't someone come up with this or why hasn't this been done? And you come up with an amazing business idea after two or three pints. And then the next day you wake up and you do absolutely nothing about it and you go back to work and and all the rest of it. And that was the same for me and Andy. Um, Until 2013, I took a career break. I'd already decided that I wasn't going to continue with Pricewaterhouse um, or accountancy. And we were both on holiday. There was a big group of us on holiday. Me and Andy were doing the same, talking about business ideas. We said to each other, why don't we stop doing this? We either come up with an idea that we're going to do something about the next day or we stop sort of tormenting ourselves. Uh, and that was like the uh, the gauntlet that was set. And we said, within three months, we have to come up with an idea. And uh, we spent the next three months you know, we must have discussed about 30 or 40 different um, business ideas. And, uh, and finally, we landed on one. And that is what became Just Be. For, for people who haven't come across Just Be, and, and, and what Just Be is today, I suppose, is a little bit different to, to what Just Be was in, in the early days at the beginning. Kind of chat, chat through the background to Just Be and the original product ranges that you launched. 
Yeah, so my dad's a beekeeper um, and my granddad was a beekeeper too. So the original idea was all around using honey from my dad's beehives in his garden to make a healthy natural product, which was also innovative, using honey in a different way and helping to save the bees because bees have really had a tough time of it over the last 10, 20 years. Um, so that was the sort of the side uh, social mission to uh, backdrop to the business. But it was all about using dad's honey. Um, and this was you know, like number 39 of the 40 ideas. And we both thought, you know what, maybe we can do something with that. Um, and after a you know a few days discussing what innovative product that we can put honey into, um, we decided it was it was drinks. So it would be a drink that was naturally sweetened with honey because you've got all these soft drinks. We're going back to 2013 now. It was a lot less healthy drinks. Um, all the flavored waters either had lots of sugar in or lots of artificial sweeteners in, and at the point. Jamie Oliver was in the press, you know, campaigning to reduce sugars. Yeah. And um, honey is a completely natural sugar. There's no artificial sweeteners and you have to put less in it to get the sweetness. So we thought this could be perfect. So we came up with the idea with drinks and we progressed the idea for a year whilst working. Um, I got myself another job at the co-op bank and we spent a year working. But in the evenings and weekends, we developed the uh, the concept and the recipes and the branding for Just Be. Um, and it, as I said, it was going to be a flavoured water drink, naturally sweetened with honey. Brilliant. I mean, I've always loved with Just Be the, the origin story. And I guess dad, dad was a beekeeper, granddad was a beekeeper too. And... As you say, everyone's looking for these healthier, more natural alternatives. But as a, as a beekeeper himself, what did what did Dad say? What did Mum and Dad say when you told them you were packing in the consultancy work at, at, at Co-op Bank and embarking on this adventure with Andy? Well, I know a lot of parents probably would have been uh, surprised and and probably challenged and, and questioned that the the, the uh, decision, but. Mine are very sort of, uh, I suppose they could see how how much I didn't like doing it um, and how it made me quite unhappy. The hours that I was doing at, um, you know, at Pricewaterhouse and were just crazy. There was a lot of politics and it, I just knew that it, it didn't it didn't suit me as a person and I think my parents could see that too. So they were very supportive of the decision. But then when it came to the actual business and getting my dad involved, he thought the idea was great. He was like, I'm not, you know, I'll advise you on honey and, you know, you can get you up to speed with beekeeping, mm -hmm. how you can help save the bees. But it was more uh, an advisory role. It was me and Andy that would uh, take the business uh, forward. And, uh, yeah, that's where it started. And I think that was 2014. We spent that year developing it. And then March 2015, when we put the purchase order in for the first run of drinks i thought i remember now it, it was fifteen thousand drinks five thousand of each flavor and three flavors and uh it was very daunting because we both quit our jobs proper this time and we wanted to give it a real go we didn't want to keep doing it evenings and weekends we had fifteen thousand drinks to sell um with a nine month shelf life so um, we pressed the button, got them made, and we had, you know, a warehouse full of drinks. 
and uh, um, we, we we realized pretty quickly that we needed to find some retailers. Yeah, I mean, it is as soon as you push that button and make that stop, the clock is ticking, like you say. And food and drink is a notoriously tough industry. I mean, you guys are—I know, I know you're creating something new and different, but you're. You're jumping into a world of giants like Coca-Cola and PepsiCo when you launch a new drink on shelf within the world of retail. So what gave you and Andy the belief, the confidence that you could that you could jump into a, a new industry like that and, and, and take on the beer moths that exist? Yeah, well, I think there was probably a bit of naivety. Um, coming from a you know completely different industry and probably bordering on arrogance, just thinking, yeah, well, you know, we know business. We spent eight years uh, in finance. We'll be able to you know grow a business, and you know, we, we did all these forecasts that just went up like that. And um, within five years, we'll have a ten million pound revenue business with one to two million pound profit. Yeah, easy. So there was a bit of naivety, a bit of arrogance, possibly. And, you know, it wasn't, but, but that said, it wasn't about taking over the drinks industry. It was never about necessarily competing with Coca Cola and uh, PepsiCo and Britvic and Vimto. You know, there are only five or six main players, as you know, in, in the drinks industry, and they're massive. You know, Four or five companies own 80, 90, 100 brands that you see on the drinks fixture in a supermarket. It was, wasn't about competing. It was about growing to a point where we became enough of a nuisance for one of those big um, big companies to, to, to buy us, essentially, um, and for us to get an exit. So how did you get started then? You've, you've got a warehouse or is it a bedroom or a kitchen or a spare room filled with 15,000 a bit of everything. Bottles of honey sweet and drinks. Uh, how, how did you get the business going? How did you get the first sales? So um, we, we we looked at Greater Manchester and we realised that there was you know quite high end delis in certain parts. So south of Manchester, places like Disby and Charlton in the city centre, and we put them all on a map and we realised it's 20, 25, I think it was twenty five really cool delis or coffee shops or farm shops that we wanted to target first. And one of them was called The Taste of Honey in Didsbury. And I thought, well, I've got to go there first, given we're making a honey sweetened drink. And I went there, spoke to the lady, she was called Annalise, and I walked in, told the story, and she absolutely loved it. And she was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll stock your drinks. She took a case of 12 of each flavour and immediately put them in the fridge. I thought, this is easy. Just need to keep doing this. So I got the other 25 and I wrote down a little, uh, you know, I'll put a map together of which ones I go to on which day. And within three weeks or possibly two weeks, I've been through all 25, managed to get a meeting with the manager and 20 of them had said to stop the drinks. Um, which I was amazed at. Um, I couldn't believe my luck, really. I thought, wow, 20 out of 25 are now have bought something off me. You know, I've never sold anything really in my life. I used to be an accountant and I was walking into delis with a product, telling them a story about how it was made and they were they were buying it and putting it in the fridge. So that felt pretty pretty good. And um, and that was that, yeah, that's how it started. How does that repeat? Because 15,000 bottles are still a lot of stock for, for 25 outlets. Even oh, yeah. If they have the word honey in their names, um, there's more work required, I assume. So what, what was the next step beyond the the delis? Because 
I think you said you built that you built quite a grand plan to begin with. So how does it start to scale up from there? What was the vision that you and Handy had for that next year or two? Yeah. Um well the next step was we'd read the innocent, you know, the book about how innocent started, and we took a lot of um a lot of um advice or a lot from their story really because we we aspired to sort of follow their journey. And they had some beacon accounts, I think they call it beacon accounts, where they'd um you know there'd be high-end uh, retail stores like Selfridges, Fortnum and Mason, name another, um Harvey Nicks. And they'd got used those stores as beacon accounts. They called them beacon because if they were in those accounts, they could then go to other retailers and say, oh, we're, we're in Selfridges. Surely you'll want to stock us too. So we started to target those high-end retailers. And Andy realised that Fortnum and Mason actually had beehives on the roof. And you always have to have a, a hook or something different to say because these buyers receive hundreds of emails a day or week uh, from people like us, don't they? And uh, they can't read every one. So if you say something a bit different, you often get a response. And when we said, we, we're beekeepers, you're beekeepers, we've got the first UK's first honey sweet and drink, it got a response. Um, we went in, a bit like Apprentice style for a pitch, uh, went down to London on the train with all of our uh, merchandise and products and samples and um, we pitched to them and they said, this is great. We love it. We want to be your first um, outlet in, in London. And and um, they gave us an end of aisle fixture with massive fridge ends. And yeah, we dressed up as beekeepers for a photo shoot with them. And it was it was amazing, actually. And soon after we'd done that and Selfridges got a sniff that we were in Fortnum, they were like, right, we want to stock you too. It was a bit of competition was created. Um and so, yeah, that was the next sort of building block, really. Yeah, and, and and that's a great point to anyone that's that wants to sell something to, as you say, buyers who are not short of approaches from from new up and coming brands or people with new ideas. That you guys sat back and you really thought about the link, the kind of unique conversation you could have with that customer. Um, and I've always loved the way you guys have, have activated kind of the samplings that you run with customers and turning up in your your beekeeper outfits. It's I get I get always get the impression that's pretty attention grabbing when you're turning up running samplings, wearing those outfits for consumers. Yeah, you, you, you always get a few uh, a few looks, a few high fives, a few smiles. Some people running away because they think you've got bees. <laughs> but um, yeah, why, why didn't I put it on today for this podcast? <laughs> Missed the trick, haven't I? Just a big stack of cardboard behind you instead. That's the yeah. Uh, that's the real day today of a food and drink business. Fab. Well, look, so you you got your first outlets up and running, um, but you've got bigger ambitions. So, what were the next steps? After you, you, you've gone from a regional business, you've grown in some kind of key beacon accounts, as you say. Um, but I think it's quite quickly after that you started working with with customers that had a much more of a, a national profile. You realised we weren't going to make, you know, sell a, a whole awful lot of drinks with just those stores, and it had to be the UK national stores where we where we went next. And so um, with Waitrose and Booths, we realised that given we were a premium product at a premium price, we needed um, to get volume at that price point. And so Booths, the Waitrose of the North, and Waitrose were the ones we approached next. And they love the story too. They love the beekeeping angle. They um, 
it was Waitrose that, that, that got back to us first and listed us and they sent a photographer for their weekend magazine, you know, uh, to, to my, my dad's garden, we took a lot of photos. And very similar with what happened with Selfridges, Booze realised Waitrose were going to stock us and Booze stopped, stocked us immediately afterwards because of the competition. And it felt great. It was like each, at this point, each retailer that we were approaching was, was saying yes. So, yeah, I think it was within a year We'd, we'd got to this point, sort of twenty end of 2016. Um, we were in the Waitrose and Boots, obviously the Selfridges and Fortnum's. Oh, and at the end of that year, Boots came on too. And we were on the boot, in the Boots meal deal too. And that was our big, that was a massive account for us because um, we're on the meal deal, really. Yeah, big. yeah, Boots, Boots meal deal. That's, that's iconic, right? You're in, you're in every major city in the UK by that point, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, sort of eighteen months in, and that's the point where we were up to. So it was all going pretty good. And then there was another big milestone that followed. I think it was in twenty seventeen. Is that right? You guys and you kept this very very quiet because I, I knew you at the time you um, you suddenly popped up on primetime BBC TV on a Sunday evening. I think on the infamous Dragons Den. So can you tell us tell us a little bit about that experience? Absolutely, yeah. Um, most terrifying <laughs> uh, day of my life, I think. It is as scary as it appears on on TV, and probably more so actually because you you're not just there for ten minutes as you see on telly. I think we were an hour and a half being uh, interviewed by the dragons, um, and that's an hour and a half with the lights on you, you know, all the crew and the dragons' eyes on you. Boiling hot, no breaks for water or the toilet. You know, it really is that intense. Um, and we wanted Peter Jones to give us an offer. That was who we always wanted from the start because he uh, he'd done the reggae reggae, he'd done a number of other consumer brands. Him and and uh, Deborah Meadham were our two cut targets. And it transpired that we actually got an offer from him, which was great. But we always knew that there was a chance we would be asked to give up way more equity than we were prepared to. We're only sort of, you know, I think it was filmed the year after we'd started. And um, we did, you know, we wanted to sort of keep, we knew we were going to have to keep on raising funds. So when he asked for 25%, we didn't think that was worthwhile for us at that point. And um, we'd said we'd go up to 15, but he wouldn't negotiate. So, uh, yeah, um, it was nice to have the offer and we obviously got two, three million people viewing us and getting you know aware of our brand on, on TV. So we saw it as a win. And declining the offer, do, do you look back on that in hindsight? Does that still feel like the right decision today, looking back? I think so, yeah. Um, because we got into, after that, we got into Boots, we got into Co-op, we got into WH Smiths and a number of other big wholesalers. We never quite managed to crack the bigger uh, supermarkets um, like Tesco. Yeah. But, you know, there's always a question. I look at the how many companies that the Dragons invest in. And I think to myself, how much time do you actually get as a business that they've invested if they've got 100? So I always wonder how much value you get from, from, a, from a Dragon. So, yeah, no regret, no regrets. As you say, there was a lot of success that followed that that appearance on Dragons then, and there was a lot of a lot of publicity at the time around the business with with that appearance and, and people coming across and experiencing the brand. 
if we take it forward a little bit from there, because like you say, you, you're in Boots, you're in WH Smith, you're popping up in more retail accounts. You've got this kind of consistent base of customers. You've got, I think, post Dragon's Den, you had investors coming in and back in the business. Um, and, they get, and then we get to 2020 and, and, and COVID hits. T- tell me a little bit about what that looked like at the beginning of 2020 and the impact it had on, on the drinks business. Yeah, it was devastating, really. Um, we saw the impact of COVID probably a week or two before the lockdown. Some of our customers started to turn away deliveries that they'd already ordered, saying we don't need them anymore. Um, and then within four weeks of lockdown, we'd lost 80% of our business, of our revenue. Um, and we were left scratching our heads going, OMG, what do we do now? You know, when you five years we were up to, we worked so hard to get this, build up the business and these accounts, and then you lose it all in, in four weeks. It's, it's pretty frightening, actually. So we, um, I think it was April, yeah, it would have been April last year, 2020. It was probably two weeks of just going, crap, like not quite sure what to do. Um, and uh, feeling sorry for yourself really a little bit going, what you know, what's the point anymore? There's, there's a pandemic, we can't control it, can't bring those sales back, certainly not anytime soon. And uh, wallowed a little bit. Uh, I remember painting all of the downstairs of the house for a few weeks and just trying to do anything but just be. Um, <laughs> and then towards the end of April, like me and Andy were like, no, you know what? We've got to do something. We've got six months of runway, you know, cash in the bank to keep us going six months. And there must be another way. There must be a way out of this. We'd luckily started another product line, some NPD, back in Christmas 2019, so a few months earlier. It was a range of honeys, um, 12 different recipes, 12 different flavoured honeys. And we'd sold them as Christmas special. And they performed really well, just to our sort of current, current direct consumer customer base, people on our email list. So not through retailers. And we got feedback, and there was two clear favourites out of those 12 different recipes. Both had vitamins in them. Yeah. And so given that market testing had gone well a few months earlier, and we were in the middle of a pandemic, we thought vitamin honey could be something that would do really well. So we... F- We fast-tracked the product development through uh, back end of April 2020 and May, and we launched it within six weeks. It was the first week of June 2020 on a brand-new website, brand-new products, nothing to do with drinks. It was pots of honey blended with vitamins to help support your immune system, vitamin honey, and um, two flavors, an original flavor and a lemon and ginger flavor. And, we, we, yeah, we, uh, we launched it. And we thought, we've got nothing else to lose. Let's hope it goes pretty well. And, and it went it went really well. We couldn't believe it, actually. We uh, we saw within a month, I think it was hundreds in the first day, hundreds the next day, hundreds of orders. And then people were starting to come back within the month to buy it again. We thought something really good's going on here. Um, and then for the rest of 2020, it was all just playing catch up, really. We couldn't buy enough honey, raw honey to blend and vitamins to blend. 
um, and then sell on the website. So there was a lot of apologising going on to customers that have bought the honey. Go, your honey's on its way. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get it to you. But we, we just, it was like a roller coaster, and we're just trying to cling on really. And within by Christmas last year, twenty twenty one, the sales were already dwarfing the sales that the drinks business had before the pandemic. And we're now just over 12 months into the honey and the business is four times bigger than the drinks business was pre-pandemic. We've got a number of five or six more staff that were all unemployed that we've given jobs to help help with the honey. And we're looking for new premises to grow into. So silver linings, bittersweet, you know, all those sort of (laughs) sayings. Yeah, it, it all started very badly when the pandemic hit, but we managed to turn it around. It's it's an incredible story, and, and as I've referred to a couple of times, I've I've known you. We met at a, a a business event in Manchester back in 2015 when we were both starting out. You and Andy and, and myself with with a real handful. Um, seeing what you guys have done in the last 12 months to pivot the business, essentially, in the face of like you say some pretty dire circumstances, particularly for grab and go drinks business, like you say, it's been so remarkable. So. You've got a business now that's kind of four to five times bigger, I think you said, and this is all going through your own website. Is that right? You're not you're not selling to supermarkets anymore, or even yeah. independent delis. It's it's all direct to to your shopper. It's just an online business. Yeah, the, the three massive changes really. One, the product. Uh, you've gone from drinks to, to honey. So uh, that's the first big change. Second one is we're not outsourcing production anymore. We're doing it all in-house. So we've got a new operational challenge there. Um, and, and number three, we've gone from selling in retailers to selling online only. Um, so the only thing that remains from the old business is, is the brand name, uh, yeah. well, just be, <laughs> um, which is on a pot of honey now and not a drink. So, but yeah, online is, is amazing because you do get to make that direct relationship with your customer. Whereas before there was a retailer in the middle who had all that information about the, the end customer. Now we know who they are, what their preference, you know, preferences are in terms of what product they're buying from us. We've got um, you know, the age, a lot of more demographic info. And when you're bringing out new products, you can have that conversation, two-way conversation. You can send samples to your best customers, get them to give you feedback. It's absolutely, I love it. It's it's um, It feels more like what I expected business to feel like, if that makes sense, to, to yeah. really have a relationship with your customers. Whereas when we were working with the retailers, it felt like a one-way relationship. It felt like us begging to get on a shelf and then not really hearing back from the customer, the retailer, until they were like, you either need to give us, you know, put your prices down or you need to give us more marketing spend or, or whatever. It didn't feel like a very equal relationship, whereas now it's, 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 it's great, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the business is on such a, such a, a solid foundation now. And I think a lot of people might listen to this and think, oh, at, at some point there's been an expensive agency involved helping you guys build a new website or, or upscale or outsource the, the skills of kind of getting through to consumers via a direct to direct consumer business. But I think I'm right in saying you guys have self-taught, not, not only have you pivoted the business, you've self-taught, self-taught yourself all these new skills around recruiting the consumer, 
and the manufacturing and fulfillment off the back of it as well. That's that's right. Yeah, I mean, we've luckily had it. We have we have another business which is a direct to consumer business where we've learned a lot of these skills previously, um, and so we had had a little bit of a foundation, a little bit of a head start there, and that's probably the nudge that we had in back in April twenty twenty to go. You know what? Why don't we just do a direct to consumer website here? You got to find the right product. The drinks wouldn't have worked on it. Uh, because as you say, it's a grab and grow, grab and go product, whereas honey is a take home product. So as long as you've got the right product, it will work. And, and yeah, we've built the website ourselves. Obviously, got some designers that have, have helped us with the graphics, but yeah, all the marketing is done in house um, as, as well. So yeah, it's been it's been a pretty crazy twelve months. <laughs> yeah, it looks at it from the outside, and you guys have got. You, like you say, you're, you're trying to keep up with demand. So you've got people kind of trying to buy as much of your honey as you can produce. You've, you're trying to get expanded premises at the moment. I, I, I guess the big question is kind of what what's next from here for Just Be? Where do you guys see the business evolving in the next couple of years? Um, we've we've got big ambitions still. And, um, you know, it probably won't, we won't be selling to Coca-Cola anymore. Um, you know, maybe we'll grow the business and, and just you know, we really enjoy it and we're not in any rush to you know, the young, you know, accountants out of PwC that wants to grow something very quickly and flog it. It's Coca-Cola. That's changed. You know, if Rouse Honey approached us in three or four years time and said, well, we'll buy this off you, we would obviously consider it, but that's less of a, um, a goal now, if that makes sense, just because we're enjoying day to day and of growing the business. So it's more about, you know, continue to enjoy the journey bringing out more products and um, we know that our customers will love potentially going into new markets you know whether that's europe or, or america riding the wave online as far as possible until we're see, starting to see the growth slow down and when we do then potentially going back to retail um we won't rule that out but um yeah getting as far as we can online a lot of people get into the world of entrepreneurship, maybe not for the right reasons, or like you say, in hindsight, with a with an end goal in mind, rather than the journey. And it, and it sounds like you guys are enjoying the journey, but seeing the benefits of that through through what you're creating at, at Just Be, um, and and that's that's exciting for me to see as, a, as as someone who's known you and followed the business up until until this point. I think there's something you touched on a couple of times in there, which is your mission to help save the bees it'd be lovely to just finish with you sharing a little bit about what you guys have been doing there since the early days of the business and the impact that's already had up until up until now yeah so bees have been struggling uh, for years decades and part there's a number of reasons why why not just honeybees but there's 200 species of bees approximately in the uk a number of them are already extinct and some of them are close to being extinct one of the main reasons is that um the habitat has been destroyed and i think 70 or 80 percent of the natural habitat hedgerows wildflowers has disappeared since the 1930s and so we saw a clear opportunity to try and reverse that process as part of our brand mission. So since 2015, we've been handing out bee-friendly wildflower seeds for people to plant in their garden. And we've always pledged that for every product we sell, we'll plant a flower. Um, and so far, we've helped plant 12 and a half million flowers across the UK. And um, 
we've estimated that that's saved around two and a half million bees. There's, there's a ratio of flowers to bees that, that we've calculated. Um, and that's really important as, you know, coming from a family of beekeepers, we're closely aware, I'm closely aware that uh, how how important bees are, not just for honey, but for agriculture too. You know, one in every three, this is the stat that always surprises me, one in every three mouthfuls of food we all eat as humans relies on bees and other pollinators doing that pollination uh, job. Um, and there's areas of the world where bees have disappeared, places like China, certain areas even in California where they have to ship bees in on lorries to pollinate fields of almonds and and, uh, and avocados. And we obviously don't want that to happen here in the UK. We don't have to want it to happen anywhere. So that's why it's really important for us to do our bit to help save the bees. And, um, yeah, we give out the wildflower seeds. I go into schools to give, give talks to kids to raise awareness and educate kids about the importance of bees and, and, and wildlife and help them plant wildflower gardens and things like that. So, yeah, that will continue and, and hopefully grow that that area of work and education too. So, yeah. Brilliant, mate. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic legacy to be leaving with the business. and. Um, if there's ever a, a city in an area that loves a bee, it's definitely Greater Manchester. So I'm sure any, anyone listening in on this is going to love love to have heard more about that part of the journey as well. Uh, yeah, if anyone that doesn't know about that that synonymous link, just Google Manchester Bee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for sharing the Just Bee story. It, it's been an incredible one to follow from the outside. I'm so excited about. The position that you and I have, uh, you and Andy have got the business into in, in the past 12 months in the face of a lot of adversity. Um, I can't wait to see what you guys do next with it. So all the very best. Now, we like to finish off each, each episode by digging into a little bit about what it means to you to be to be running a, a business in Greater Manchester and give you an opportunity to give a bit of shout out to some of your favourite businesses. So why don't we just dive from there into, into that question. What what does it mean to you to be running Just Be from Greater Manchester and building your business here? Well, I think I just touched on that, that link between Manchester, Just Be and the Manchester Be. It's on every Every uh, lamppost bin in Manchester, there's a Manchester bee on there, all bollard. And it dates back to the Industrial Revolution, you know, the, the worker bees of Manchester. People that worked in the mills were called the worker bees because they worked so hard. And so seeing these bees every day, I've always thought that, you know, Manchester was the only place that we were to start our, our honey business, uh, just bee. And it's helped in terms of the city... Uh, in general, it's helped massively being here and growing the business. The universities, there's a huge, there's three huge universities and the students. Um, we've had so many different students come in, either on placement or just working part-time with us, um, and they've been phenomenal. Um, so we've worked closely with, with the universities. And, and yeah, it's just a great thriving city with, you know, all sorts of startup businesses like real handful and a number of other we've got a little cohort of brands that we share ideas uh, and, and thoughts with so yeah manchester is a great city to, to be running a business without a doubt and, and and you talked about there so we like to give everyone a chance to give a shout out to their favorite three businesses in greater manchester whether that's a 
a little coffee shop to a tech unicorn. So when you give us a, a quick rundown on your favorite three favorite businesses in Greater Manchester. Okay. Um, well, the first one's got to be real handful. <laughs> um, I'll pay you that bribe later. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just two beers, please. Uh, I'll go with Naturelli and uh, Cold Brew as well. Uh, cool Cold Brew. Um, two, two, two other of the, uh, the startup brands that we've known for many years, haven't we? And, and uh, you know, share, share thoughts and ideas and get a beer with every now and then. So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah and I, I think one of the things we wanted to to raise through this podcast awareness of within food and drink as well. It's like many industries; a lot of people think that this is this is exclusively happening in London and the South, and there's there's definitely a not just a thriving kind of food service community within within Greater Manchester, but a lot of branded businesses out there as well trying to trying to do something different within the categories they play. And so, uh, great to give a shout out to people like Naturally and Cool Cold Brew as well. Um, we do say if, if people want to, uh, they have the opportunity to magically steal one aspect of another city from around the world and bring it to Greater Manchester, whether that's the weather in Rio, the the cash that washes about in California. So, um, Joe, for you, if there's one thing that you could bring to Greater Manchester that would enhance it even further, what would that be? Oh, a beach, a beach. Manchester Beach, that's all we need. So let's take one from LA and the sun. We'll bring the sun and the beaches. And and I think think that's it. Nailed on perfect city then, isn't it? That's the only, <laughs> only thing we're missing. <laughs> Open and shut. Open and shut. It's a great shout. Um, fantastic. Look, thanks so much for your time, Joe. Thanks for sharing that Just Be story with us. Uh, if you can finish by just letting us know where people can go to find out more about just be and and if they wanted to reach out and get in contact with you or the company how would they go about doing that yep um so www.justbehoney.co.uk um is where you can find out about our brand and uh, if you want to get in touch with me um i'm just about to launch a new website actually with my journey of my entrepreneurial journey and that's uh www.honestjoe.me so you can get me there fantastic and exclusive i didn't know about that that's something you, as if you're not busy enough already you're building a, a website in your spare time as well yeah i just thought i'd make life even harder for myself that's <laughs> it thanks joe thanks so much for coming on i'm sure people are going to love hearing more about this story and um, we'll catch you again next time on Greater Manchester Business Stories. Brilliant. Nice one, Joe. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Greater Manchester Business Stories is produced and presented by Joe Taylor of Real Handful. The special guest was Joe Harper of Just Be. You can find out more about Real Handful by visiting realhandful.com and you can see more from Just Be by visiting justbehoney.co.uk. Audio production was by me, Andy Blackaby-Isles.